0: The Airbnb start was actually an accident. You do not want to be more of the same and you need to be ready to run a whole business. People get into Airbnb better run it like a business. That's the cascade of how we went from homelessness in 2009 to four seven-figure businesses by 2022.
1: We're here to empower high-income earners to gain back control of your time through financial independence and stop trading your time for money and start letting your money work harder for you.
2: And hey, if you want to meet other high-income earners on their FIRE journey, join our High Income Earners FIRE Facebook group. Every month, we'll have guest speakers and we'll share about what our team is currently working on and allow you to share what you are working on with other high-income earners. High Income Earners FIRE podcast is brought to you today by Bonavest Capital, where we partner with investors to build up passive income through real estate syndications and start living a lifestyle by design.
1: As well as Say Yes Stock Option Investing, where we show high-income earners how to generate consistent cash flow with your phone and accelerate your journey to financial freedom. Hello everyone, welcome back to High Incomes Earner Fire podcast. I'm your co-host, Cody Ye. Today I have a really interesting guest who is another guru and very well established in the Airbnb arbitrage business. Now, before we start recording, I actually found out that his Airbnb business, he has a more than four seven-figure business, but the specifically Airbnb business, his entire portfolio, 155 units, has went through some turmoil and he has to come back in, take over his CEO's job and do some reorganization again. So I'm really excited because he's keeping it real. He also has a YouTube channel and uh, there's a lot of value to drop. So welcome, Sean Rackensick
0: rocky jeech for anybody who wants to pass that trivia quiz one day it's a
1: rocky Serbian G. last name yeah <laughs> got it so welcome sean can you give us a high level rundown of your four seven figure business how do you start it and how do you start the first one and how do you come to the fourth one before we dive into the airbnb yeah of course
0: so what's really interesting is most people who start their first business typically do it in an area that they worked for someone before like servicing that same company or in competition And believe it or not, back when I was in music school, I was like a little emo kid. I was selling newspaper subscriptions and I ended up starting a sales team, selling newspaper subscriptions for a smaller newspaper after going homeless in like 2009. That was no fun, but I basically got demoted from a job, hurt my feelings. I left that job and then went homeless, had no other choice but to start a a business of my own because I was refusing to actually go back to work for a regular company. And then that's when I started my first newspaper sales business that became a seven figure company by 2013. So from 10 to 13, we grew. And then right around that time is when I started actually housing sales staff. So I was putting them in apartments. So that way these sales guys could just focus on selling well, having three or four apartments in a building and then have everybody move out one day, just without a plan. I had these year long leases with, uh, they were full of furniture, but had nobody in them. So I had to put them on Airbnb as a way to save from losing money. So the Airbnb start was actually an accident. That was end of 2014. And I didn't grow that business until after 2017 because me and all my ego, I'm like, oh, I'm going to redefine the newspaper industry. I'm going to be the biggest player in this game. And I was ignoring the money we were making on Airbnb. We were profitable on these three doors. But then the Super Bowl came to Houston. And that's when I realized you can make a ton of money like in just a weekend. So I went from four doors to like 10 doors in like two months. And then that was February, 2017. Then I started my YouTube channel, August of 2017. And that's when I was like, you know what? I'm going to show you guys how to do this. And because I had this like accountability partner that was the internet, I started adding more doors there. So I had a seven-figure newspaper business. And then 2015 through 2020, I grew my door count to 103 doors right before New Year's 2020. And then my YouTube channel also became a seven-figure consultancy, where, of course, I sell a course and have webinars and coach people on Airbnb. And then I've built like auxiliary services businesses like housekeeping, re roofing, moving, and general marketing. So I've got this like catch all business that does all the side stuff that we need all the other companies for. And that one's actually paid, uh seven figures now, too, just doing all sort of random jack of all trades services for my three main companies. And then COVID killed the newspaper business, but it still was a baller of a company until COVID happened and we can no longer sell newspaper subscriptions. In public and that's the cascade of how we went from homelessness in 2009 to four seven-figure businesses by
1: 2022 oh my god Oh, oh, are you sean 36 oh you're 36 okay i'm 32 yeah. okay somehow you yeah, look very, very mature very full of experience like <laughs> so i gotta throw your curveball here how about the mm-hmm. four business if you can only keep one today which one it will be
0: it's not a clean answer because the easiest money to make is then course products. The margins is like 85%, something like that. Because that's time. Right? Yeah, we don't run any ads, everything's organic. So the YouTube channel funnels in people into a Facebook group, and then they eventually buy one of my webinars. They see that my stuff's legit, then they buy my coaching program eventually. And that's probably about $100,000, $150,000 a month in sales with an 85% mm-hmm. margin. I did three webinars this month, but two of them we've pre-sold 50 something thousand dollars each webinar. So we did over a hundred thousand dollars in pre-sales on these little $80, $100 webinar tickets. That would be the one that would keep. But the problem is in order to stay the premier educator in the short-term rental space, I'd have to be an Airbnb host. So to only pick the webinar one, I would actually lose my legitimacy and I'd be turning into some like hollow influencer that doesn't actually do what he says he does. I think I'd have to stick with the Airbnb business and uh, just kind of stop coaching if I was going to like stay authentic and actually do one that made money.
1: We have see seen a lot because I'm in a coaching business as well. Teach stock option investing. I was a guest speaker. As far as I know, I'm the only YouTuber that's a guest speaker for TD Ameritrade and all that, right? Uh, to help more retail investors. So I understand a lot of coaches out there might not actually do what they say they do or they don't even have a trading account. They just put things together and sell the cores and make the most money, right? No accountability and all that. So I really appreciate... People, and that's really why I reach out to you and invite you on. So newspaper was great. Now kind of gone, you know, just so you know, like I know the owner of the biggest newspaper company in called Toronto Star is a well-known one, and they're really struggling with digitalization of things and it's a different story, but they were struggling as well. Now coaching does well, great because you actually have a track record to prove it and continue to provide value. Now that's dive right into your Airbnb portfolio. So you were, by 2014, you have three to 10 doors. And by 2020, you have 103 doors. And then from 2020 to probably a year ago, you built up to 155. And then I guess March, 2022 happened. Is that when they started raising the interest rate? When the salt market started crashing? Is that when the momentum shift? Like, can you tell no. us more about that? Actually, no, we had 103 doors and then COVID hit.
0: Airbnb canceled everybody's reservation. And then we went from 103 doors down to 67 during COVID and started to climb back up. And then March, 2022 was easy um, because we don't actually buy a property. All of them are leases. So we'll go to an apartment complex. We'll get a landlord to give us a whole floor of an apartment complex. We'll furnish that floor, turn it into a hotel, essentially. And so because of that, interest rates didn't really matter. It's all about rental market sentiment. And one of the biggest things that we do and the things that I teach my students, a lot of it for free on YouTube still, but one of the biggest things that I teach is get a landlord to give you free rent on the front end of that deal. So tell a landlord, we'll do a two-year long lease, but give us eight weeks of rent for free. March was still a great time to get leases. Market got way too hot in June, July, August. So we were having a hard time picking up leases then. But then as soon as like September hit, October hit, we were able to like pick up like 80 leases inside of eight weeks with like 10 weeks of rent for free because the market started to turn and landlord sentiment got crazy. So we actually grew to 155 doors, like basically right before the winter boom hit. So we picked up 80 doors as things were falling apart. And next thing you know, we had like 80 doors of inventory and a super deflated short-term rental market. It was an interesting situation to be in.
1: And it's very interesting the way you mentioned that, okay, free lease and all that. A question I get all the time from people is like, Cody, why would landlord lease their property to you why don't they just give it to a property management team because some of the high-end property management team can manage somewhat decent as well so why would they give it to someone like you 36 years old i know you look like a lot of experience you have track record but why would they give it to you the owner trusts you besides comparing them that to a property management company well you're speaking to a different type
0: of actual relationship with a building owner so if they handed their property to a property management company, that company would charge a percentage of revenue. There's no guarantee of income at all with a property management firm that does short-term rentals. So the landlord would say, Hey, yeah, take my property. The landlord buys the furniture, pays all the expenses, property management company runs it, they'll pay the housekeepers first, then they take like 20 or 25% of top line after housekeeping cost. Then landlord gets the leftovers and has all the expenses. So that's a co-host model. And that's something landlords could do, but they have to be super sold on short-term rentals. They have to be like, oh, I want to do short-term rentals. And they have to be greedy for the cash flow. We show up and find landlords that have never considered doing short-term rentals at their property. They're long-term landlords. And we typically target landlords who've had bad tenants, who've had to evict people, whose house maybe is sat empty for two or three months because they're not effectively trying to rent their property out. They've just got like a yard sign. And they're just like the DIY landlords. When we talk to these landlords or the multifamily guys, because the multifamily guys don't want to give... 20 doors under a profit share model and risk not making any money. So they would rather go with what we call the rental arbitrage. The rental arbitrage, when we pitch these landlords, we pay for the furniture and we pay a flat rent. They're basically getting their occupancy problem solved, guaranteed rent, instead of having to take what is first an occupancy problem and then throw those doors into what they would consider to be a risky market because they've never done short term rentals before. If a landlord's stressed because they don't have any money from not having any occupants, saying, Hey, put it on Airbnb, I can't guarantee you'll make money. I'm just gonna take twenty-five percent, you'll get the leftovers. They don't like that deal. They have to be confident. Rental arbitrage really leans on a landlord's lack of confidence in like his lack of confidence that he can get these doors filled by himself in any real period of time. Signing 20 apartments or, you know, renting two houses from that guy and taking the lease today and signing a three year long lease guarantees no tenant turnover and guarantees that rent check. And that's really the heart of how we attack a landlord is just solving their main problem, which is the rent check and tenant turnover.
1: That's great. And did you ever had to like during the COVID time, you said basically that's all in Dallas, right? I'm guessing the 65 unit that kind of got shut down when they restricted during COVID is that in Dallas? Philadelphia is one that shut
0: down. So we had like 35 doors in Philadelphia that went ice cold. Our that makes California. sense. Now, at
1: first I'm thinking about blue state, red state. Why is it shutting down? Now yeah. it makes sense. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, 150 doors, gotcha. eight different cities, Philadelphia went dark for almost a year. They didn't
0: shut down for a year, but the travel sentiment was so bad. Philly was losing money for a year during COVID, but our Texas properties were carrying the portfolio. So we're still profitable, even though we had an unprofitable city. Like Philadelphia was like a black hole for a while.
1: When that happened in Philadelphia, I know you guys were basically taking profit from Texas, dumping into Philadelphia. Have you guys ever thought about, that? say, end that uh, lease earlier with the landlord? What was your mm-hmm. thinking at that point? We actually shut down Philadelphia as part of our
0: most recent hemorrhaging of money. And when mm-hmm. we had to fix it, we terminated leases early. We let up a lot of leases non-renew. But then we told landlords like, hey, we're not going to keep servicing these because one of the reasons why is we had a gang breaking into our properties in Philadelphia, stealing all of our stuff. Once they found out that the properties were short-term rentals, they were incessantly breaking in and stealing stuff. And Philadelphia police are just so behind that they're just like, if it's theft, we don't care. So it was a problem. So yeah, we broke some leases early. And honest truth, landlord looks like, okay, if you cut these leases early and you just get out of our way so we don't have to
1: evict you, like avoiding the whole eviction process, they're like, cool, just get out, move on. So what was the penalty to get out of the lease? Because he signed it two years, right? Is that correct? It's going to be weird to say this on the record. The typical lease break would be
0: one month or two months notice and then one month fee of lease break. But from this winter bust, from COVID and from my personal experiences, I've seen hundreds of leases break with like students, competitors, actually thousands If you look at Stay Alfred lease break. I've never seen a landlord ever go after the lease termination fee. I've never seen a single landlord ever recover the lease termination when a company couldn't service their with their lease. The per- oh. tenant would just walk. And as long as they walked like cooperatively, they walked away from that lease and got out the way. So the landlord could relet their property. The landlord's just like, it would be cool if you paid this $2,000 lease break fee, but I'm not going to sue you for $2,000. It's more expensive to sue you than to collect it. I think landlords are kind of in a pinch with that lease break fee thing, just to be real. So anybody, any
1: landlords that are listening right now, you probably would want a larger security deposit. But if each unit from that multifamily is 2000 65 unit, that's 130000 That might be mm-hmm. worth a legal fee now.
0: Yeah, if they tried to do that. Yeah. For 65 doors. I mean, stay Alfred was the one out of business that would have like a hundred doors in a property. We typically have five, 10, 20 at most inside of a building. They could, it depends on the lease agreements too. We have a lot of individual lease agreements. So they're all separate little $2,000 claims. I don't know if they could bundle that all into one like thing, but I guess we've yet to be sued. So I can't really tell you. We didn't have such an egregious lease break where we owed 20
1: doors worth of lease break fees, but I've seen it and a landlord still hasn't come after that. Interesting. Well, thanks for sharing that. I know offline you share, you have four business. I know a newspaper is kind of gone after COVID. You two still going well, funnels the coaching, Airbnb, arbitrage, you're actually doing it. And that kind of comes about with the ancillary business for, I'm guessing for a lot of your Airbnb properties. And that kind of spiral into, you know what? I want to keep those people in house, but I don't, because I'm kind of spread out in seven to eight cities. So I need to send, service them, keep the, good people. So that's kind of is that why you come up to a yeah. slower um, business? There's,
0: there's, yeah, there's a
1: mix of things. There's
0: marketing services, there's like d- like general labor contracting services, property management services to go into like one it's actually the it's labeled as a marketing group on its LLC, but it's been just a lot of ragtag little extras. And yeah, a lot of it comes from synergy, right? A lot of it's synergy. Like, hey, we want to have our own moving company, we want to have our own housekeepers, we want to have our own brand ambassadors. We want to own a tech stack. So we want to build and utilize a tech stack. There's all sorts of like little bits and pieces, graphic designers, photographers, all sorts of stuff in this holding company that just does all sorts of random stuff. Where we also want to formally have money change hands. Like, for example, Airbnb, um, if somebody damages your property and you need to repair something, you need an invoice for the repair. Us owning this catch-all property management company, holding company, allows us to hire out our own auxiliary company, get the job done, but have proof of the cost because Airbnb won't reimburse you unless you pay a company that's not yourself. So you need a third company to, to actually prove to Airbnb that you had an expense, but we still want to keep our costs low. We don't want to actually pay some weird company way too much money and then go to Airbnb and say, hey, can you pay this invoice? It's like a best of, I guess, the lesser of evils, the making lemonade, however you want to put it.
1: Yeah, so basically it's kind of like, hey, you guys will run into maintenance problems and all these things that you're dealing with on a daily basis on the short-term rental side, you need a receipt and you don't want to get gouged. So might as well have someone you trust in-house, give them some job, and you can actually help a little bit more people in that area as well, right? Some of that could be virtual too. That's very smart. Are you ready to get into a little bit of the turmoil part of how you were, why do you have to step back in? Because you were kind of, Fire, per se, and just overseeing Mm -hmm. everything. Why did you have to step back in two months ago for your Airbnb arbitrage business? Tell us about that. Well, I think the mistake started the year that I took off because I didn't
0: put proper controls in place, one. I didn't have a good uh, continuing education for the CEO that was running the company, two. So I stepped too far out. I should have been doing monthly or at least like semi-monthly meetings with the CEO. I should have been doing something like that. And I should have been... Making sure that she had the skill set to handle all the issues that the company would be going through and preparing her for uh, stuff that was outside of her pay grade. And the Airbnb bust was definitely outside of a lot of people's pay grade. What really started to drop the hammer was we started to have wage bloat. She was hiring housekeeping managers because we in-housed everybody, but those housekeeping managers weren't actually doing their job. By definition, they were supposed to be working with our housekeeping teams. They're supposed to be doing quality checks. And all the housekeeping managers were just working from their houses and just checking their phone and looking at housekeeper photos, being the laziest people on the planet. And so that was an issue. And that led to a quality control problem and a wage blow problem. And then when we started losing like, say, $20,000, like I think we lost like $20,000 a month of September or something like that. Maybe it was August. I'm like, oh, we have too much wage and not enough doors. Let's grow our door count. So I'm like, let's offset our operational expenses by adding more profitable doors because our doors were largely profitable. We just had too much wage bloat and our Philly properties weren't making any money. Texas was trying to carry Philly because of all this crime. We were just like losing money on Philly due to Philly losses and wage bloat. I'm like, okay, we're not making enough money. Let's fix Philadelphia and add extra doors. Well, we never fixed Philadelphia. Company was just too overburdened, not enough good staff. Then when we added those 80 doors, we added them coming into the winter, like the winter. And Airbnb also changed their algorithm, and our properties kind of looked like trash. She added on 80 properties with a contractor that did all of her staging and design, but their version of design was like nothing. So, like the places just looked super basic. With 80 new units of inventory, most of them were not getting any bookings at all. So, we're just paying rent on 80 doors, and of course, still losing money on Philadelphia properties. And so that's when I came in. I was trying to work through her to fix her staff, terminate some staff, retrain some other staff, but she was so afraid that people would quit if I worked with them directly that she was actually trying to box me out for my own company. We clashed heads one day and she's like, you know what? I can't do this. I'm like, no, you can't. I'm taking over. She stepped to the side and I took over the company, almost immediately started terminating people. We had to cut like $7,000 a week of staff, cut our Philadelphia doors, and we moved some doors that weren't profitable to buildings that were I went to Houston and Austin and repainted and redecored a lot of our like underperforming properties. And then naturally, I was also trying to figure out what Airbnb's algorithm situation was. And that had, of course, led to the opportunity for me to sell a webinar on the Airbnb algorithm. Cause if I didn't take back over the company, I wouldn't have known what the hell was going on. And it actually would have affected my education side too. So. But yeah, the, the cascade of failure came first from not knowing what it's like to completely automate a business and retire and step uh, aside. You need yeah. controls. And I didn't put I, the right controls in yeah. place and I didn't step back in fast enough. Uh,
1: that's a hard lesson to learn. I went through that a year ago as well. At first, people have to dream as... At first, we start all coaching stuff by myself, and we were like, you know what? We're going to hire the A players, come in, take over. And at first we're like, we're going to sit back and we start seeing like the number goes down, complaints goes up or whatever. We're like, what's going on? Like, And then you kind of have to come back and do the hard stuff, mm-hmm. right? And that's where it really differentiates successful business owners from the ones that are mediocre is you have to do the hard talk, you have to make the hard decision. And what I found, the easiest thing is actually set the expectation up front, let's say for the first three months and have to continue to improve on that. And you still have to be kind of present because at the end of the day it is your business, so if you don't care, if you seem like you don't care, people won't care, unfortunately, mm-hmm. because to them, no matter how you structure the pay, they're still getting base salary at the end. So a lot of them just like do bare minimum. And like you said, they're like, it's not profitable. We need more. Of course they want more. So <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They don't care because they don't profit share the bottom line anyway. So it's good to realize that now. Thanks for sharing that. Do you mind sharing a little bit of when did the Airbnb algorithm change and how did it change and how do you cope with it? Yeah. Airbnb announced
0: their winter release, like end of November, 2022, they did this winter release. And during that winter release rollout, they kind of in phases started making changes. And so probably early November or end of October, they made an algorithm change and they didn't announce the change to the algorithm because they didn't have to. That's not part of their winter release. But they decided to make all sorts of crazy changes. And one of the things that we found in the winter release is they're allowing hosts to go back indefinitely in time and remove past reviews where a guest did anything wrong. Like they just overstayed, they broke a house rule. And so they really shored up a lot of their host support stuff. But what that showed us is Airbnb also doesn't have any faith in their past reviews. Anything older than November 2022, they're like, these reviews could be compromised. So I think they re-weighted all their data, took a snapshot of all the listings that they had... And they basically restarted the algorithm and there were listings that were kind of caught in limbo because they weren't performing well enough in that moment because of the winter season, maybe they got like one recent bad review, were, like just a couple different factors. And it just started driving a lot of listings in the ground. Or like we had a few buildings were just empty, like I told you, and a lot of hosts across the world have the same problem. So what we found is Airbnb made some updates to listings where there's a like this laundry list of checkboxes for amenities. And when they updated people's listings, they didn't update that people had stuff that they never asked about, but they surveyed guests like, hey, do they have this? Do they have this? Do they have this? So people's listings were intermittently filled without their knowledge or consent on this new like list of amenities. So hosts had to go in there and like complete that part of it. There's text boxes that need to be completed. I did a split test. And anybody who is a host currently made a couple updates, their view count, if they just completed their listing based on Airbnb's update, they had like a 430% increase in views just from completing their listing. If they flipped on smart pricing to try to get back on the algorithm's good graces, which smart pricing is not a cool piece of software on Airbnb, but it's one of their widgets. If you activated their smart pricing widget, you'd have an 1100% increase in views, If you completed your listing and flipped on smart pricing, you'd have a 2,300 increase, 23X increase in views. So this started to give us the data that we needed. We made some pretty killer, like pretty killer findings. Of course, hosted that little webinar called Realgorithm. What we did is we repainted some of our listings that were no fun, took new photos, created new listings. We'll use smart pricing when we don't have enough bookings and then shut it off when we have enough bookings, um, in short. And then, of course, making sure that the algorithm is satisfied everywhere else. That's the skinny
1: on the algorithm. I know there's more, but this is already a lot of meat on the bone. I'm sure a lot of new Airbnb hosts or arbitrage people might not realize the change. They just kind of capitalize on it mm-hmm. because they already have, you know the new algorithm. But The host who has already have units before November 2022 might be scratching their head for the longest time. Like, what is going on? All these new listings are beating us. What are they doing better? We have better reno. We have better this, that, better pricing. What's going on? But they didn't know it was the back end Airbnb. It was actually favoring new customers yeah trusting them yeah. more new listings get a boost for about a month so yeah just that alone could be part of it thanks for sharing that so you took over the company two months ago let go of all the philadelphia the 65 units right what is your vision like are you do you want to step back or in the meantime you trying to find the next ceo what's your vision for 2023 Remote operations, good,
0: solid remote operations. Um, I'm still very much a festival kid. I'm going to envision in Costa Rica, like in a few weeks, might even do like Carnival and EDC, Mexico City, and just do like a like a three or four week trip. And then um, I'm going to Serbia, Croatia, Prague for my birthday, end of April. So I've got some trips planned. Right goal is to shore up everything, which we're good now. Everything's running much better now. There's still a couple things to fix. Get everything tight, get it operating well remotely, run the business while also on my trips, just make sure it doesn't fall apart. And then after I get back from like my spring trip, I'll probably try to put another leader or restructure the company to accommodate a little bit more leadership in time for Burning Man. So I can go to Burning Man and also go to Shambhala in Canada. Like I said, I've got a lot of music festivals I'm trying to go to. Um, Where's that in Canada?
1: Where's that been in Canada?
0: Shambhala. I think it's like in Alberta. So if you if you drove north from Spokane, Washington, five-ish hours into Canada. You'd uh, it's still you'd have to drive about four more hours to get to Calgary, so it's like halfway between Spokane and Calgary. Oh. It's a really cool outdoor music festival. So yeah, my uh, goal for 2023 is to not change my lifestyle. I'm um, still do all the things I want to do, but without a CEO for this one company. Instead of tuning out completely, mostly work remote is the goal. I'm working on a mastermind for my Airbnb like course products. I've got these little mini products and I've got this one main coaching program, but I've got so many students that are making like seven figures plus now that I want to create a mastermind where if you make seven figures or more, you can join a much more like elite group of students. So I'm building that right now. And then once I hire a new CEO and train a new CEO, I'll be using that as like part of my calling card for the mastermind, showing that I built a CEO twice. This is not something that it's not a one-off thing. So, and I've done it in past businesses, but I want to do a second one in the Airbnb space. And then I can use that in my coaching program going, Hey, I can teach you to make a CEO. Like I've done it. So I think that's the 2023. I'm also starting a product business for the first time. I'm making custom sized mattresses, like mattresses that are tall enough for like an athlete to sleep on. And again, of course, it's a synergy play, right? I need mattresses for my Airbnb. I want fun-sized mattresses that people will write about in the reviews. And so that's one thing that we're going to do next.
1: I have some professional athletes in my coaching program. They're six feet eight. <laughs> so yeah, I'm sure they will be happy to hear that. They have a hard time because they're not average-sized people. That's very smart. I'm really excited to hear that. So basically a recap. Still want to attend the event. Not going to find a CEO yet, but run the tighter business and... Because you have a lot of successful students, you want to create another tier for the mastermind for people who really have results. Of course, they pay more, but have a better community and you provide more and even teach them how to come up with a CEO so they can have more time freedom.
0: Yeah. right. Like the big difference between like a mastermind and a regular course product, I think is in my main course, it is the biggest training program on short-term rentals in the world all, still already. But I teach people how to conduct certain positions, like how to do housekeeping, maybe how to train a housekeeper, how to do customer service, interior design photography. But when you get into that mastermind level, I've already done some of the seminars that I'm putting in the mastermind. And so one is like my negotiating with landlords. Not only do I teach how to like take down a deal to negotiate with a landlord free rent, but how to do a 20 door deal, but then how to train a sales guy to take down 20 door deal. So now the mastermind is teaching a business how to build itself and train employees to conduct all the pieces, succession planning, scaling, performance reviews, HR, everything. So the goal, of course, for that mastermind is to take people who were just the individual contributor, gone Airbnb host, once they make a million a year, how to turn your little mom and pop business into a full-blown company that is systemized. And the training teaches you not only how to do a job, but how to hire and train the person that does the job for you. It's gonna be fun.
1: One thing we mentioned before our recording was You really want to emphasize that Airbnb arbitrage or Airbnb in general is not a real estate business, right? Do you want to expand on that? Yeah. Well, so you can buy a property,
0: right? And you'll have a property. Once you have a property, you could put it in the short term rental market, right? But I can rent a property and we could have the same property. You just bought it and I'm renting it. But the nature of why we control that property at that point doesn't matter. If we both take it to market as an Airbnb product, now we're, not, we're operating a business at that point. So we're trying to get guests in our home. We're furnishing the property. We're trying to provide value to a traveler who's going to stay in your place. We're trying to provide an experience. Whether or not you buy the property or rent it from another landlord or control it through some other means, that had no influence on the actual business itself. It's completely separate. So I think there's a lot of bias in the space. A lot of real estate investors like short-term rentals because they make more cash, But the reason why they make more cash is because it's an active business. It's not some short-term, it's not some passive real estate play. So the moment you have a product that you put in the Airbnb space, you are now responsible for guests that just got off of a red-eye flight, who don't know how to use your Wi-Fi, don't know how to use your stove. And the nature of making that customer happy is the opposite of how you would handle a long-term tenant. It is by definition, hospitality. So if you wanted to get into real estate, you watch someone like Bigger Pockets, right? If you wanted to get into Airbnb, you should be following companies like Disney. Like, Hmm. There's a complete different methodology here. Or maybe the Ritz-Carlton or Disney are probably the two companies you'd follow to learn to do short-term rentals.
1: My pleasure. Not at
0: all bigger pockets.
1: That's what Ritz-Carlton said all the time, right? I was just in Ritz-Carlton and uh, Dorado and Puerto Rico, and I noticed they kept saying the word, my pleasure. They'd do anything for you. Um, Oh, very
0: Chick-fil-A too then.
1: Have you read their book, The Gold Standard? Or you've heard of it
0: I, I heard about it. I heard a summary of it. It's a good book. It's really cool. And of course, like if every Airbnb host read the gold standard, then I think I'd be able, I'd have a much harder time claiming that I'm like the best. That is really the difference, man. In this space, what and the big competitive advantage right now with Airbnb's algorithm change is they have, I can't remember who quoted me on this, but that just got published. Airbnb is shifting from an interest algorithm into a satisfaction algorithm, much more like a YouTube algorithm, right? YouTube was like checking for satisfaction. So Airbnb is like not only checking to make sure your listing is interesting, but they're taking all of your backend data and they're recycling your backend data into other people's future searches and populating you based on your performance in certain key metrics, like for amenities and stuff. Now that Airbnb is more satisfaction driven in how they populate you in search, you definitely have to be hyper loyal to that whole bring the magic kind of experience.
1: Yeah. The journey is a lot more important now. And Mm -hmm. The top people who knows what they're doing will even become more profitable, but it's typical of the Pareto row of 80-20 might become 95 to 5%. Would you agree to that? You know, I can say
0: that we could see 90% of hosts get crushed in the next few months. They're going to run out of cash. They're going to burn out. They're just going to underperform. They're going to get fed up and leave. So I think, yeah, 90-10. Why do you think those hosts will run out of business? What is going on? Well, so Airbnb's algorithm is pushing bookings to the listings that they think are going to survive. So Airbnb, in times of oversupply, Airbnb has to choose who lives and who dies, right? Yeah. If they just distributed demand equally across the whole Airbnb platform, maybe no one would make enough money to be successful if they equally shared the business. So Airbnb's algorithm has to say, okay, who are our best hosts? Who are our best listings? Which are the ones we want to keep on the platform? And let's starve out the stuff that we don't think needs to be here anyway, Airbnb doesn't care about your property per se. They're not going to go out of business as long as the customer's happy. So they will starve out the bottom of the market and defend their best listings. So their best listings stay on the platform. If they didn't absolutely defend their best listings through favoring them in the algorithm, then those best listings would not perform well enough and they might lose some of their better. So they have to create an unfair playing field for the listings that they think are going to do well. They're betting on resources. And that's why people won't ever recover from this. People who don't study the algorithm, make the key changes, they won't ever recover from the bust and they'll just not make enough money f- until they just get out. Airbnb's intentionally starving
1: out hosts. Do you think that's the biggest risk in 2023 for all your students who are starting or people who are thinking about starting Airbnb arbitrage? What would be the biggest risk? Like starting right now today. I'm like, Sean, I'm in, I gonna sign up for your course or maybe mastermind, but you don't have career yet, but I'm in. What are the things I'm like, Cody, don't do this. If well, okay, starting so out today.
0: There's a couple things. Right now, you could have a conversation about whether or not you should buy a property, but it's a real estate conversation. So like property valuation and whether or not you should put a down payment on a property is one thing. There's risk there. I think there's downside risk in some markets right now, but that's not really Airbnb. Um, one of the biggest risks I see to people right now is they're getting in because there's a lot of influencers that are like flexing their cars and going, oh, I make all this money on Airbnb buy my course, and I'll show you how. Mm-hmm. And it's creating false confidence in the market where people are getting into the space without doing any homework. They're not doing competitor research. They're not finding out which properties are successful and why. They set up a property that looks like trash. And because of that, five years ago, you could put up a property that looked like trash and you'd make money. Airbnb would just let you have like what looks like to be like a dorm room on Airbnb and it would work. But now because the competitive landscape is refined enough. It's by no means hyper-professional. It's not overly competitive, but because the competitive landscape is competitive enough, a lot of newbies are going to come in with a poor product and poor training, lack of experience, and they're going to get their heads taken off right away. And it's just going to keep pushing all the newbies out of the market because nobody's going to quite create a product that's going to slap. Like my wall back here that I painted dark, I've just been painting most of my airbnbs dark. Right? And that coat of paint alone creates a night and day difference on Airbnb because think about all the cheap properties that enter Airbnb space. All oh, gray. So the wall great. colors are normally your basic white off white gray color. Yeah. So all of these Airbnbs in the market all have the basic Betty background colors. Yeah. And so as you scroll through all of them, if one has like a really dark green or near black or like a heavy dark blue color, it creates immediate contrast with a coat of paint and people will click on your listing because you're different. Just one coat of paint makes you look so different from the rest of the market. So one of the main things we've done is we've been just trying different wall design styles, different color palettes for a paint going dark on our walls and just painting our walls dark has been night and day different. And it's those little things that newbies won't be doing, right? That's the biggest risk in 2023 is you do not want to be more of the same and you need to be ready to run a whole business. So if you're contracting out your housekeeping company, if you're paying a co-host, and you have inflated internal expenses, you're not going to be able to hang and bang because your internal costs are too high. People get into Airbnb, better run it like a business. They better be willing to run it like a business. They should be looking for opportunities to create value, reduce internal costs, look at the data and make adjustments, like these types of things. Where five years ago, it was like the Wild West. So that's probably the biggest.
1: Five years ago, it was kind of like the crypto world. Buy anything, everything goes up. But now it's like- Put it on Airbnb, people book it, and like it could have been a cardboard box and you had made money. Last question before we go into our fire round. I really enjoy all this conversation so far. Thanks. How much do you usually put in rental? What are the most important things in rental? Specialized, specific, darker accent wall.
0: Yeah. Well, we do a lot of studios in one bedrooms, right? And we've done some three, four bedroom properties too, obviously. So I can tell there's a difference in what you put in bigger properties and smaller properties. Our normal budget to launch is about $6,000 total for furniture decor like that's it and that includes what the landlord gets because we try to talk the landlord into a lower security deposit not even a full month's rent right away stuff like that and so a studio apartment costs about a thousand dollars less to get started than a one bedroom but studio one bedrooms on average about six grand and we're talking like king bed should be one of the standards because airbnb still doesn't have a search filter for king bed but it's going to come one day having a king bed is one people love having yes a full that kitchen, one i
1: score all my new
0: property. You bet. You're already top of the algorithm. And because hotels don't have kitchens, you should really focus on filling your kitchen with usables. Yes. Stuff, right? So yeah. if you've got a full pots and pan set, we choose ceramic because Teflon scrapes and everything else is hard to clean. And you've got some good utensils, good cutting block, all that good stuff. Then that'll also give you more drive to people who are staying for more than three, four, five days. When we take photos for a little studio that doesn't sleep, many people we will probably put HBO Max on the TV and take a photo with the TV on HBO Max. If we have a three-bedroom house where there's going to be kids, when we take photos of the living room, we'll have it on Disney+. Plus. So the the TV will show that Disney Plus is actually already on the TV. And this kind of signals to a family like, hey, there's family-friendly streaming channels on this TV, like little things like that. We are also in the era of what I call underserviced amenities. So as you go and do your market research to find a place, you want to be looking for intersections of amenities that just don't exist. So you might search for a four-bedroom house in Denver, and there might be 300 houses. But when you select... A free parking, there's probably still nearly 300 houses. But when you select gym equipment, there's only like 12 houses all of a sudden. Mm. So that shows that a four bedroom house with gym equipment, there's almost almost no inventory on the market that is at that size with that amenity. And you should be attacking those intersections of underservice amenities. So EV chargers, hot tubs, gym equipment in certain cities, free parking is a big deal. In certain destinations, having a fireplace is a big deal. And then of course, making like Instagram friendly spaces with any bigger property, I think is important because people like taking photos and kind of like having that experience and getting some content while they're at these larger properties. So you kind of want to do a little bit of outlandish stuff with bigger properties, just in general. Almost like a, like a filming studio. Um, yeah. That's great. Kind of a weird fact. One of my friends is a wealth manager. He's actually my wealth manager and he nice. wealth manages for female content creators, mm. exclusive content creators pay me monthly subscription content only fans is that what you're talking about okay and he says that they spend 20 or 25 percent of their revenue on airbnbs because they're constantly looking for new places to shoot so he approached me said hey i've got this idea because he's got all these clients in the space and they're constantly booking airbnbs they don't even stay the night they'll book for the night go and shoot their content and get out so a lot of the money that they spend is on novel spaces so if there's any controversial thing I could say to the audience who wants to get into Airbnb, design your Airbnb for an OnlyFans girl, right? You're not only gonna get business from that level of novelty is really what Airbnb's always made their money on, is novelty. So being novel will always pay off.
1: Have you tried any of OnlyFans space?
0: I use Space for like the hourly rentals and actually a very big OnlyFans creator actually booked my penthouse like a week ago I walked in at their, at, like when they were cleaning up and a buddy of mine was the videographer. I'm like, Hey, what are you doing? I haven't seen you in years. And so I kept up with them and then they published like the teaser stuff for this girl's content. I mean, they crushed it, but the video stuff that they made was amazing. Girls got like 5 million followers on TikTok or whatever. We, I've had plenty of content creators of all shapes and sizes and purposes. Are they good mind. customer? Yeah. Uh, they're very professional. This is where they make their money, man.
1: They're very, So they don't poop where they make their money. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Unless that's actually part of their content. Sorry. That was a bad joke. I I got that joke. Cool. Okay. I can talk this for hours, but I want to respect your time as well. Let's Uh, go into our fire round. Ask a few questions, and people know where they can reach you for more, which is quite obvious. First question for fire round. We lose everything today. All your units, all your coaching program, even your YouTube channel is gone. What are you going to do? Before you start, I'm going to drop you a half a million dollar because that's where a lot of high income earners, right? So they have half a million, I don't know what to do. What would you start over right now? I wouldn't even need the money. Like, so <laughs> here's the thing there's something called intangible
0: assets, right? If you mm-hmm. lost all of your assets, you need to take an assessment of your intangibles. And even if I lost my YouTube channel, if I lost my business, I would still have the deepest level of influence and favor bank. Like from the free value that I've created, the amount of reciprocity or karma that I have in my industry is so large that if I just announced I was up to something else, people would find me. Right. So that's an important thing to factor in. But if you want me to answer for people who don't already have like residual intangible assets like me, because like I've got a golden parachute here, like I could just say, Hey guys. I'm going to get into the space, into this play, who wants in? And I could fundraise just like out of thin air because my reputation is so tight right now, right? If I didn't have that reputation, if I didn't have the credit in the market, and all I had was like my skills that I have, I would try to quickly gain influence again. I've realized how powerful influence is. I'd get into a sales job. I'd get into a sales job in order to generate the cash that I needed. Well, meanwhile, while trying to create influence. And I actually coached, there's a bartender that came in for one of my penthouse parties and he works at this place called The Mexican. And I told him, a basically I told him he's wasting his time if he's not actually casing out all of his customers. Cause The Mexican is a restaurant here in Dallas where all the like high net worth people are going right now. I'm like, you need to be keeping a diary of every single person that walks in, their life problems, everything you can know about them. Have this little black book of every conversation you have of anybody of interest, because you can capitalize on their life problems eventually. One day, some guy's going to come in and you're going to say something like, hey, what's on your mind? And the guy's going to start to vent all of his issues. And you can go in your black book and go, oh, I know a guy who can fix that. He came into the bar three days ago. And then you become a node. We are in a world full of people who want to commit to other humans on a very shallow level and try to get max value on a shallow level. If you can build influence, get to know people and do deep work with people for free. You'll become so influential that people will want to do work with you on the back end. And that my wealth manager, that's kind of how he got me. He sat me down one day. He's like, What's your biggest challenge right now? How can I help solve one of these challenges? And it, it was a memorable conversation. We became friends. And now years later, he's taking my money to manage my finances, right? So if I had $0, I would get into sales somewhere where I was able to rub shoulders with potentially high net worth individuals. And I would pay very close attention to every word that they told me. And I would write that down. And I would look for opportunities to capitalize on their needs, their problems, because everybody has problems, especially rich people. Mm -hmm. And I would become memorable for solving problems. And they got, they're like, I don't know where this guy came from, but he's a rainmaker, And that's Mm -hmm. what I would do if I lost everybody.
1: Man, I usually ask, a round of five question for fire round, but I think that one is good enough. Like, I just want to say you're one of the most, someone I really like being on our show. Like you give a lot of value, no fluff, get right to the point, a lot of takeaways. I'm taking notes left, right, and center as well. So I really appreciate that. Again, I want to respect your time. So where can our audience find more about you? Well, my name is Sean Rocky Jeech.
0: If you could, my my website is just my last name, rockyjeech.com which is cool. And then my YouTube channel is my name. And my Instagram is actually Airbnb automated because I used to be Airbnb automated. Then Airbnb asked me to not be Airbnb automated on YouTube. So (laughs) that's fine. Their brand protection team politely asked me to change my name. So yeah, if if they just search my name on YouTube, that's where most of my content comes from. And then my website, RockyGeech.com
1: will pretty much give
0: them an intersection of everything
1: else that I'm up to. Yeah. I'll put it all in the description. Again, Really enjoy this show. I don't say that a lot. People, my audience know that. And um, I really appreciate that, Sean. Yeah, this was fun hanging out. Really appreciate you having me.
2: All the links mentioned in this episode are included in the show notes. And if you love this episode, please leave us a rating and review on Apple iTunes. The link is also included in the show notes. And we would really appreciate your help in spreading the word to more high-income earners on how they too can maximize both their time and money.
1: Also, if you still haven't joined our High Income Earners Facebook group, you are missing out on high income earners community where we help each other reach our own version of fire.